I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic She-Ra episodes to modern progressive issues. But we're not done yet. In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria. This year, we're taking a higher level view of the characters and issues that face the Princess of Power. We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape. So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is, is She-Ra, Progressive, Progressive of Power. Power. All right, now that you're here, we're going to read some uh, religious tracks at you for 45 minutes. And you're also here to uh, enjoy my Power Rangers Pokemon crossover fan fiction. Oh my god, is that real? Yes. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, yes, and I have it right here. Improv, baby. Yes. Hi, this is She-Ra Progressive of Power, and we are recording in, um, I don't know, like the equivalent uh, a of a cube. podcaster zoo. Uh, at the Moxie Hotel in Chicago. Yeah, people are throwing peanuts at us. Uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, people at the bar are like, what is going on? Uh, so here's what's going on, people who don't know what you're in for. We're going to talk about cartoons and politics for about 35, 40 minutes, and you will be entertained or you won't be. I, you know, I'm not the boss of you, but one of those things is gonna be true. Well, not just any cartoon, but a very specific cartoon. Yes. Uh, She-Ra, Princess of Power. And She-Ra and, and the, the princesses, princesses of, of Power. power. Uh, it, we're specifically doing this show at this time because we've been off the air for a while waiting for the new Netflix show to come on the air. And uh, a lot of fan reaction has been happening. A lot of conversation. Some of it healthy and some of it uh, not. And we wanted to kind of uh, weigh in on that. And also, you know, every day is a political dumpster fire. And so we have plenty of politics to report on for you, too. Yeah. It sounds like the house music got even louder. So if you guys hear that on the recording, I am sorry. But, you know, that's not going to stop us. Uh, so... Yeah. I, I like it. It, it. it makes us feel like we're on a field trip. It sounds like there's like episodes of The Nerdist that were recorded like backstage at SNL when like the band was sound checking. So like we're pretty much that cool. So. <laughs> yes, I can hear their I laughter. I heard them. I heard I them. I was worried about that. So we were worried we weren't going to be able to interact with the audience, but I can hear you guys. That's so wonderful. So what should we talk about first? <laughs> so we got our hands on some uh, new content that is not even on Netflix yet, but there is a project out there called uh, Power of Skull: The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It is a documentary, and anyone who kickstarted it, uh, I think to a certain amount, I'm not so sure of the details, got access to the documentary early as well as extra material related to She-Ra. And to me, the most interesting part about this documentary was how surprisingly uh, similar some of the feedback to the original She-Ra designs and the original She-Ra show are to what we're hearing now about about the reboot. Oh. So maybe you can talk a little bit first about uh, some of the stuff we've been seeing online about the new show to give the old stuff some ironic context. Yeah, so I'll say I waded into the comment section at he our dear friend Jacob, I think was maybe my lifeline there. 
Um, I don't know if regret is the word that I'd use, <laughs> but like, it gives me anxiety. Um, because basically, so what, about three weeks ago now, we saw the designs for the new She-Ra. They launched on Entertainment Weekly. Uh, and there was a lot of unhappy people on the internet, and the refrains that keep being repeated are, she looks like a man, uh, she's not sexy, uh, those are really the big two, and the, the, I mean, there's lots to unpack in either of those. Right, so I think the disclaimer is very important that we are not the unhappy people on the internet. I love these designs. Katra is so beautiful, she's my queen, and there's already um, more... Uh, ethnic diversity and more body diversity in the four characters yeah. that we've seen than in the entirety of the original and I'm here for that big time and I think you're here for that too that's kind of what this show is about yeah I mean I like I, I guess I'm not sympathetic with those comments but I, I don't love the designs except for Catra asterisk Catra's amazing it's just not like a style of animation that I'm super into but I I understand why they're doing it and I think it's designed to be animated and we haven't seen these in motion and I certainly don't hate them you know I don't and the comments that we're getting are so backwards well right the comments aren't about necessarily I don't like the style or I don't enjoy this artistically it's stuff that is very transphobic homophobic and creepy considering the fact that this character is a teenage girl so fill us in on what what people said back in the 80s it's almost as though like history repeats itself and uh, people just don't realize, like, they don't have original thoughts. Sure. So my notes are sort of chronological, and it's a little dark in here. So it's going to be maybe disjointed, but I'm going to get through it Hold for you. I'll, I'll take out my phone flashlight. The so, epitome of technology. On an earlier episode, we talked about the Toys That Made Us documentary, and there was a lot of that sort of rehashed in this doc. So they wanted a response to Barbie, uh, because Barbie was such a hot seller. Uh, and what I learned about Barbie in this documentary was she was such a hot seller that if another little girl's doll brand came around and then failed, Barbie's brand would grow and get more patrons and sell more because girls wanted dolls and there was only ever that one available. But uh, Barbie's weakness in terms of the team at Mattel was that she couldn't get her fingernails dirty and she couldn't be a superhero. She couldn't go on the same types of adventures that She-Ra in the future would. So uh, the, the people at the toy company kind of saw this opening for a character that really had things to do, action-based things to do. Um, if you watch this documentary, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it. Catra very much was a furry back in the day, Ooh. and her uh, her companion was Tinks, a combo lynx and saber tooth tiger, <laughs> and Shira's original steed was a stag. You're so, laughing like that's not the most awesome thing you've tinks, ever heard. <laughs> tiger plus lynx equals Tinks. <laughs> You act like cowl isn't exactly the same joke. I mean, I, it's just I've heard cowl, you know, <laughs> so Tinks is new to me. I'm fascinated with it. So this was meant to be a bridge brand between boys and girls, and so you could kind of see where this is going. There was actually active discussion. Should we put this in the boys' aisle, in the girls' aisle? Will, will boys even want to buy it? If it's not in the girls' section, will girls know about it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the toys get made. 
and they need the the show to go with it because the show is what sold Masters of the Universe, and the show is going to be what sold these toys as well. So at this point in the documentary, we've only heard from women about She-Ra. Oh, wait, were women the original creators of She-Ra? Uh, like, a lot of them were. Ones? In fact, um, they talked about how women were hired for this because even the Barbie sort of creator's room was so full of dudes nice. that it was getting uh, awkward and they needed a change. So J. Michael Straczynski pops on screen uh, and followed by Larry Dottilio. And they say the problem with writing She-Ra was that men didn't know how to write her. They would either write her as, quote, He-Man with mammary glands, or someone who needed to be rescued constantly, and what kind of adventure is that? Uh, so Bo was actually created so somebody could uh, not only adore She-Ra in that sort of Barbie Ken way, but then there would be someone to rescue that wasn't always She-Ra. So was, in fact, designed to occasionally be a damsel, which I just love. To your question, She-Ra was originally designed to not be feminine. Uh, the original intent was to, quote, look strong in the face, and you were supposed to say, oh my god, look at those legs, but not like sexy, sexy legs, like strong, pull a not truck like, legs. Hey, look like, at those <laughs> legs, a little something for daddy. It's my Andy Daly impression. You gotta do something to entertain the, the audience here. So writer, yeah. <laughs> that's what all men sound like, right? That's true. This is this is my put-on voice. This is my real voice. <laughs> I'm really a good actor. You've been you've been putting a lot of effort into sounding normal. Well, you know, you gotta project like you're an SJW if you want women to talk to you. <laughs> I've internalized so much of Heman.org. Literally, someone <laughs> threw something at me now. I'm trapped in a this. tiny box. Someone help me. <laughs> Podcaster Zoo. <laughs> so Barbara Hambly, one of the writers for She-Ra, believes that male fantasy writers up until this point based their female characters on women written by other men. So mm -hmm. they would be like, ah, this must be how women are, having read fantasy books also written by men. And at the time, uh, the audiences thought that she looked masculine and she looked strong and she was too sort of powerful and of muscular stock and they didn't like it and now we hear the exact same complaints like with the sort of transphobia thrown in as sprinkles on the top when really the criticism was exactly the same people were so used to seeing barbie and so used to seeing sort of uh, hyper femme roles that even this glamorous, golden-haired, lipstick-wearing, perfect eyebrows queen is like, oh, what a dude. Gross. And th this is exactly my point, which is a point I tried to make on the message board and no one listened, probably because I'm very verbose when I type as well as speak. But She-Ra has always been progressive. That's the whole point of our show, in fact. Yes. It, in the mid-'80s, she was rebelling against the the gender norms of the time. I think it's right that she do that again. It's just people growing up with that don't recognize it. And people in 2018 don't recognize it because her rebellion was like, it worked. You know, like now, like the stuff she was doing is seen as normal and safe to a point. But I do still think if that show came out exactly as it was um, 33 years ago today, people would still say it was a political show. 
Yes, so I saw this meme and I wanted to print it out and read it and then didn't. But it was, what if the internet existed when Empire Strikes Back came out? Yeah. Because I can imagine it being just like this. Like, oh, it was so goofy, a tauntaun, you know, and now these things are iconic. But they need to be given their time for people to realize they love it and create the fan base. Now we have this sort of proactive anger for everything that comes out. You know what I'm surprised by? Um, we we learned uh, that Jean-Luc Picard is coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, listen. So is Sir Patrick Stewart uh, announced recently that he's going to be continuing the story of Picard. And for some reason, all of the same people who I've seen on these forums crapping on the She-Ra reboot, everyone is like universally so excited about Picard. So could it have been sexism all along, Eric? I'm going to add She-Ra to the list of franchises that starts with Superman and Star Trek of things that like hardcore like um, prejudiced conservative people shouldn't like and I don't understand why they do like literally there's episodes of Star Trek talking to them right and yet racist like Star Trek I don't know how sexist like She-Ra I think I mean I hate to use the term woke but like they're just not woke yet and maybe this show will help push them in the right direction I mean I, I if they watch it I don't know if they're gonna watch it yeah which I mean it, the world's probably better for it so another fact, I don't know if I'd say fun fact, that I learned from this documentary about the original She-Ra is that censors really came after the show. Um, toy companies and psychologists, all these sort of anti-violence, pro-stereotypical gender roles voices came forward. And Straczynski says, they just felt that a female character should not be fighting. A female character should not use swords. And he even referred to it as blatant sexism. And uh, the fact that, again, we have so much criticism now from the fans about her appearance. You were the same crowd, you know, back in the day, didn't even want her picking up a weapon. You've never been on her team. It's so it's so frustrating. Exactly. So James Etock, he's a He-Man historian and writer. The final note that I have on here. I, I have mad respect for James, but that is a really funny title. That is that is how they credit him yeah. in the He-Man documentary. Historian. historian. Like he's you can be that an, professionally. An E-Man historian. An E-Man? Because the historian is with an Anne, like oh, the classical yeah. English, and, because he used to say history. I think that's why the H is silent. In I don't know co- why that is, but I know you're right. Yeah, and which E-Man. is all that matters. Anyway, uh, he, he concluded this documentary by saying he finds the messages of Shira stronger than He-Man's. He cited one of our very first episodes that we did, which was book burning, Mm -hmm. as just this tour de force of progressive, important political messages. And like He-Man just never got there. And so to your point, I don't know what show these people thought they were watching Mm. because there's some heavy handed, uh, (laughs) just political stuff. I just have question marks above my head. So when you said anxious, that's exactly how I feel when I look at the Facebook fan page, the official mm-hmm. page for the new show, because there's one dude who on every single post and every single image does the same thing, and that is he shows up and clicks the vomit emoji and then leaves. And he's probably done this 30 times, yeah. and to me, That's just so sad for that human. You're coming back over and over and over. You are so bothered by a good cartoon 
or just a cartoon. I'm not even going to say it's good because who cares? But you're spending and you're investing time in your life over and over to be like, by the way, still hate this. Yeah. And let me let me address that point, too, um, because the same and Jacob can speak to this. Jacob is out outside the cage. He's in the real world. I hope everything's still OK out there. Um, <laughs> so there's like four people on the thread on HeMan.org that every time someone says anything, even neutral, neutral or better about the new show, like, boy, look at this design. They want you to know how miserable they are time and time again. And it's like, dudes, you said it once. Fine. We're, we get it. Like, these people think that somehow they have an equal right to, like, complain for every good thing that's said. And you, technically they're right. But, like, why are you wasting your time complaining about a cartoon? If you don't like it, live your life. Right? Am I, am I deluded? I just, yeah, I just think if that if that's the biggest thing you have in your life to worry about, you have a very nice life. I agree. And maybe you should stop and look at your life and go, wow, the worst thing I can think of right now is a cartoon. It's going pretty well for me. I have a very nice life because this cartoon is coming back. <laughs> I know. Life's been good to me so So, yeah, should we talk about politics? Yeah, I guess a little bit. So I, I wrote down a couple of news stories, and we don't have to go over all of them, but I think this one is related in a, like, bad, good way. You'll see what I mean. So a lot of the comments regarding the new Shira have been so based in gross gender normativity, expectations, uh, just blatant transphobia. And so... We did just hear today, however, that U.S. District Judge Colleen Collar Cottley, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Oh, the old uh, triple C. Yeah, well, K's and C's, it's, oh. it's uh, consonants everywhere. I can't see your notes. So uh, she denied a request by President Trump, meaning that uh, transgender people are, in fact, allowed in the military. Yeah. Yes. He tried to put a ban, a really just bigoted, terrible ban on the transgender community who wants to serve our country. And uh, the, the judge said, no, can't do that. That's discrimination. That's good. So that's pretty great. Yeah, that's that's some some measure of good news. Now, what else you got? Well, the other <laughs> maybe, maybe good in the long run. But if we want to talk about people who are just determined, determined to roll with their negativity, no matter what the universe around them is maybe signaling, the Manafort trial. Mm -hmm. uh, so Paul Manafort, day six of his trial, I believe was today. And this is not his trial related to uh, the, the Trump campaign specifically. This is more about tax evasion, money laundering, overseas accounts, all of that stuff. And uh, yesterday he was trying to throw uh, Gates under the bus, saying it's all Rick Gates who has already pled guilty. And Rick Gates got up on the stand today and said, you're not doing this to me. <laughs> Threw him under the bus entirely, said, uh, yes, I knew that Manafort had X amount of illegal overseas accounts. In fact, he asked me to write fake loan documents, mm. knowing that they were fake, knowing nice. it was illegal. Nice, nice. We're all going to jail. Nice, nice. Uh, and so I was really worried about this trial early on. We talk a lot about income inequality on this show. 
And on the first day, the judge was, uh, quote, cranky, according to NPR, and was saying, being wealthy is not a crime. Him being a rich man is not illegal. In fact, in America, we consider that a success. And then on day one of the trial, uh, the judge proceeded to ban use of the word oligarch in the trial just because he thought it sounded like a, like a, a mock word for a rich dude. It's not. It's a literal thing. But it's nice mm. to see this turning around. But uh, Manafort is relevant to me in the sense that they had him on house arrest and he was breaking the rules and then they put him in custody and he was breaking the rules and he just couldn't chill. He just couldn't chill and now it's coming back around. So I don't know. Maybe by the time Shira starts on Netflix when we when we do our next episode, maybe some of these people will have actually have to pay their dues. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Their dues to society. Uh, I mean, maybe that's... So we should have talked about this at the top, but I'm totally off my game. Uh, so talk to me about your summer, Lauren. This is our summer hiatus episode. What have you been up to? My answer is somewhat political, so it segues. Oh, sure. Well, my answer is not super political, so you can you can finish us up with your summary that I know you're getting into. I uh, am going to business school. I That's like the well that's what we were just talking about. You're going to become an oligarch defender, right? I'm, yeah, I'm going and hopefully an oligarch myself. Yeah. Like if I play the Lauren, cards right. Lauren's going to get richer than all of us and forget we existed. Oligarchs and friends of oligarchs. Uh, that's all I'm going to hang <laughs> out with. So, you guys out there, you have things to aspire to, oligarchy. Anyway, one I just, day you could even buy a podcast booth in a slanky downtown <laughs> hotel. You're really bitter about this experience. Hey, it's fine. <laughs> okay. So, uh, long story short, I was in a cohort program at DePaul and found out this week that uh, some combination of low enrollment and low uh, availability of the people who were enrolled, my cohort got canceled. They dissolved it. So I don't have a class anymore. They're my really my school that. got canceled. What? And so uh, I'm going to meet my academic advisor on Monday to build my own custom uh, program or leave. You know, Jacob, before the show, was making some really solid points about how your cohort is your network. And when you want to become an oligarch, it's all about knowing the right people. <laughs> and if I don't have people to network with, what's the point? It's I mean, true. network with and then eventually manipulate until we all go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, it's the American dream. If, right. That's. I mean, that's what the government is telling me I should aspire to. Right. And I'm going to do it. <laughs> I believe in you, Lauren. <laughs> Just watch yourself. <laughs> I, that was a threat. I hope you all heard that. I wasn't lying earlier. Uh, Lauren's very strict. So uh, tell us tell us about your summer. I saw you on the front page of Reddit, okay. my dude. I'll, I'll circle back around to that. Um, let's see. What have I been doing with my summer? Well, I started Gloomhaven. I was talking <gasps> to your husband too. about that. Yeah, Lorna, so Lauren understands because she's been there. When you play Gloomhaven, it's really something you have to tell people about because it's such a huge part of your life now. And, okay, this is why Eric and I are best partners and best friends That's forever. Right. That's right. Because completely at random, having not spoken to one another, we picked the same Gloomhaven character. We're both crag hearts. Yes. Uh, I'm so happy. Which is like a rock, an elemental rock monster man. Very adorable. And I uh, g 
wikied names of minerals and discovered that Davidite is the name of a mineral. <laughs> so his name is Davidite, a.k.a. David. Oh, yeah. my name is Kolb because I have a friend named Craig Colbrook and we called him Colby. And I, I think of my guy as a Craig Hart. And so, Aww, yeah, anyway. I hope Cra- he's listening. Well, Craig didn't actually think that was that amusing, <laughs> but it amuses me. So that's I'm all. so hard on matters. your behalf. So anyway, Gloomhaven's amazing. If you yes. have $800 or whatever it costs, you should go buy it. Yeah, uh, Clayton and I were just comparing notes about the mission with all the elemental demons. So that's a topic for a completely different show. But I just want to, yeah, echo Lauren. It's dope Did your group get to literally murder Satan yet? No, we didn't jump down the well. So that was a spoiler, but oh, that's look okay. look forward to it. Uh, I, we're not gonna. We're not gonna go down the well yet. Dang. So, okay, to the audience, if you had just killed like eight demons and then you had two mission options. You could either investigate the scrolls the cultists were using to summon the demons or jump down the hell mouth that they were summoning demons out of. Which would you do? Obviously, Lauren's group thinks jump down the hole. No, you're you're not talking about this in an economic (laughs) manner. It doesn't matter how they summon them if you can just go to the core and get rid of them all. Because if you get rid of them, the next time the cultists pull out the documents to summon them, no one comes. But, it's over with. But Lauren, I'm Ender. I've ended it. Knowledge is power. No, and throwing rocks is. You <laughs> picked the wrong guy. Okay, so we just have a difference of opinion here. That's okay. All right. Um, the other thing that I've been up to, uh, I guess the cat's out of the bag because of the front page of Reddit, at least halfway. I've been very coy about my new job on this show. Obviously, uh, well, people who just listen probably don't know what I look like, but uh, that was me on the front page of Reddit this weekend, signing people up to register to vote at Gen Con with Cards Against Humanity. It was, uh, that was my 15 minutes, guys. It's all downhill from here. 40,000 upvotes and it's over. Do you happen to have any preliminary numbers on how many people you registered? I think we registered uh, somewhere between 300 and 350, and we um, got about a few thousand to pledge, which is incredible. Yeah, nice. Um, Let's get out some applause for that. Killer. Thank you. I'm so proud. And it was a very interesting experience because when you have a political booth, you're opening people up to talk to you about politics, which for the most part was like very illuminating. Uh, I'll just share some samples. So like... Uh, even some pro-Trump people like genuinely thanked us for being there first of all, which I thought was very nice. Um, because in theory, everyone should support access to voting. And I think Republicans who don't are tipping their hands just a little too hard. Uh, but anyway, that was nice. I talked to a couple of veterans who one guy was like, oh, I didn't serve for three years to get a traitor in the White House. I'm like, hell yeah, Dang. dude. And another guy in Texas who told me that he became an election official because uh, his local priest like voting area is the church and they know he's an atheist and they told him he couldn't vote there. Wildly illegal, of course, but now Whoa. he's an election official. Um, that guy was a veteran too. He was dope. When I thanked him for his service, he said, we did it for you, which I don't think meant Cards Against Humanity, but that was a very <laughs> powerful thing to say. Um, but the there was only a couple people who were really jerks about it. Uh, one guy who like, the one pro-Trump guy who really got on my nerves is like this kind of creepy looking older guy. And when he read our midterm elections pack that we were selling, he like stared at me like into my soul and he goes... I will register to vote because Trump needs more support. And he just like glared at me and I'm like, all right, dude, you're you're creepy as hell. I don't I don't need your your death stare. Yeah, the answer That's to that fine. though is just yeah. Please exercise your rights. Right. I was like, great. Please but do it. Inside, I'm like, oh, I think he just cast a spell on me. 
Uh, no, he just wanted to see you, liberal snowflake, have a meltdown over, oh, God, he's going to use his powers. and No, use your powers. Right? Get out there and use your freaking powers. Oh, and then there was the waspy white lady who was like, are you checking IDs? And I wanted to tell her, like, hey, read the news. Even Trump's own committee didn't find that voter fraud is real. So deal with that. Um, but the thing that made me the most mad were the proudly apathetic people. And I'm guessing if you listen to this show, that doesn't describe you. But, like, boy, I don't know how you can exist in this world and be like, nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I was on Skype with my mother last week, and she found out that I'd recently been at a protest. And she said, well, what were you protesting? And I said, Trump's immigration policies, specifically family separation at the border. And she was like, well, what is that? I haven't watched the news much. Can you tell me about that? And the fact that, you know, she was very open and she agreed with me in the end, but the fact that you can be that disconnected, like you can go vote and just mm -hmm. be disengaged in right. that way, I certainly wouldn't be happy with myself. And it, it's a function of privilege, absolutely, like that you don't need to pay attention and you feel like it doesn't matter. I don't know. But fortunately, like, I thought Gen Con would be like a den of escapism. Most people we talked to were like super down with what we were doing and were already registered or at least said they were. And that's good. I mean, a little bit they self-select because they're coming to the Cards Against Humanity booth and they know what we're about. But like, yeah, That was going to be great. my question. Is there anyone who, in a shira esque sort of baffling way comes up to you and just doesn't seem to realize that you're a political brand. Yeah, there are people who are like, oh, I don't buy the political stuff, which is, like, fair enough. You know, I mean... I just I, like cards that say swear words. <laughs> They're as, very funny. As long as you recognize that, like, no matter how you spend your money with us, it's probably... It, like, some of it will probably go to progressive causes. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're, yeah, you're, you're pretty open with what you're doing with it. Yeah, but it was a really illuminating experience, and so I think what Lauren and I want to leave you with, because... When did the show premieres in mid-November, right? Yes. So you won't hear from us until after the midterms. And so our message to you all is please register to vote and then actually vote. Hey, audience, are you guys going to vote? Yes, hey, I know you are. Hey, people at the them. bar who don't care we're here, are you going to vote? Gonna, are you going to vote? Yeah, they sure are. Yeah, the guy back there. He yeah. waved his hand. Fantastic. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> So one more thing to bring it back around to Shira. Uh, this was in my purse and it's super crumpled up and I'm gonna press it against the zoo glass here. Uh, so <laughs> look, it can look at it can know pictures. It speaks. This is an image of the Shira writing team in their matching jackets. Uh, on the back of the jackets, it says Shira. She wrote, and behind them is all of the fan art that they received oh. for their show in the first week after the Entertainment Weekly uh, images came out. And so whether it's Star Wars or She-Ra, whatever comment section on the internet has you down, know that that vocal minority isn't the truth. And the truth is these people and all of the contributions behind them, they're so proud and they're so happy and excited to bring you this show. We're so excited to see it. And the vast majority of fans who really give a shit, they're excited too. So if you go to Twitter 
at any given time and you have half the connections I do or you follow the Shira hashtag, it's just beautiful artwork after beautiful artwork. People are cosplaying this, they're inspired by this, they're getting excited. So uh, this is the picture I look at whenever uh, I get really down about the uh, middle-aged you know, white dudes telling me that they know my favorite show better than me. Because this is the future of the franchise. This is the future of who's going to be inspiring children, especially young women. And uh, I think we're on the right side of this one, Eric. I think so, too. We might have a private viewing of the pilot episode the day it drops. So uh, we'll hit you guys up about that because people listening right now are our favorite people. Yes. If, yeah. not, if not the day it drops, shortly after. Yeah. But we will be watching this show with all of you. Yes. So get ready. And thank you all for coming out. Thank you to Clayton for being born. <laughs> uh, thank you to Lauren for being a great co-host. She's actually very kind. Thank you for recovering from all that earlier insult. (laughs) (laughs) I said it at the end of our Christmas episode. It's an honor to do this show with you. And just the fact that these people came to see us at all, I'm so floored that I could just cry. Oh, um, don't cry. I'll try not to. I'll try to hold it in for 30 more seconds. And hey, you guys out there in podcast land, have a gnarly summer. (laughs) Gnarly is good, right? Yeah, it's totally hip and up to date. Really what the kids are saying. We're so connected to the kids. Good night, everybody. Good night.